lesson this morning. <clears throat> what I'm going to be covering this morning, um, I've not preached on this before so much, but I have, I, I have made a video about it before on YouTube. So hopefully, you watch all, if you watch all my stuff like you should, then you know you might know about some of this. But either way, uh, hopefully, you'll learn something today from this that'll be. Uh, just kind of give you a better understanding of some things in the Bible. But I'm going to be talking about the Valley of Jehoshaphat. I have a picture right behind me. We'll show you some more in a little bit. Uh, you'll notice this deep valley right here. And this is known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat. They'll, uh, they'll tell you that over in Israel today. That uh, it's a pretty uh, famous place. We'll, and I'll show you some more pictures and videos of that valley. But that very place, it's mentioned in the Bible and some unfamiliar places but also some, uh, there's some very familiar passages that people often associate with this valley. Some of it's right, some of it's wrong, uh, where people get things mixed up. And so hopefully uh, this will kind of make some black and white scripture in color for you. So look what it says in Joel chapter 3. Go ahead and turn over to Joel chapter 3. And in verse 9, it says, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come all ye heathen and gather yourselves together round about thither. Cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. So right there we see that reference where God's saying He's going to judge the heathen in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, if you are familiar with this area, it kind of makes sense that God would say that this is a place where He's going to judge because does anybody know a famous place uh, that is would be situated very close to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. A very prominent place in the Old Testament. And that would be the temple. The temple. Okay, now, um, you know, don't have time to educate everybody on this, but most people associate the, the Dome of the Rock, we'll see a picture of that in a little bit, as the spot where the temple was. That's just wrong. Okay? If you want to know where the temple was, it was actually somewhere in this area. This is where the temple was. And so it makes sense, too, that God... And this is Mount Zion. If you go to Israel today, there are signs that will tell you that this is Mount Zion, that this is the city of David. They will tell you this is where Jerusalem started because this is where the water source in Jerusalem is. The Gihon Springs is there. And they will tell you that Jerusalem, the city, got started here. David, I was just reading it in my Bible reading this week, David, when he... Took uh, when he conquered the land of Jebus from the Jebusites, that that was this area right here, and he David conquered this area, uh, and he built this house there, and it became known as the city of David. And understand too that this area it was actually forgotten what it was in history. History forgot what this place was until the late 1800s when they were exploring this area. And um, I forgot the name of the explorer. I forgot uh, which explorer it was. Uh, but 
he was exploring an area and he had a young man helping him who is the adopted son of H.G. Spafford. Anybody know who H.G. Spafford is? He wrote, It Is Well With My Soul. Okay. Now, this was after he wrote, It Is Well With My Soul, uh, but he had moved to Jerusalem. And I'm sorry to tell you this, but he actually started a cult. Uh, yeah, he had a lot of really weird beliefs, but he did. He started a cult there in Jerusalem. But one of his adopted sons was like helping, and he like fell down this area where they found Hezekiah's tunnel. And he, he found, there's an inscription, it's in a Turkish museum uh, that had, it was like a, a thing carved in the wall explaining how they did the, made those tunnels. Kind of given, and they were dated the writing back to the time of King Hezekiah. They confirmed that this was the area of King Hezekiah's tunnel. So when they did that, all of a sudden, that was proof that this area here was the city of David. And so this, this area got declared the city of David in the late 1800s because of the archaeological proof that they found. Now, what nobody was supposed to talk about is, well, if this is the city of David, then according to the Bible, this is where the temple was built. The problem is, for almost a thousand years, they've been saying this area over here is where the temple was. And you know what? You can't change tradition. Not, not in the Jewish world. So everybody's just kind of ignored that, well, in reality, if we could take a time machine and go back, we, w- we wouldn't see the temple over there. We'd see the temple here. And so and this valley right here is the Valley of Jehoshaphat that the Bible talks about. And they'll even tell you that. And then if you go back that way, if you follow the valley back farther, that's known as the Valley of the Son of Hinnom which is where Israel did some of their worst abominations. It's where they would offer uh, children to Molech. And um, it was a very, very uh, wicked place. And uh, it's also referred to sometimes as Tophet. And a lot of people will tell you too that when the Bible talks about uh, hell, when Jesus was talking about hell, he wasn't talking about a literal place where we go and we die, but it was an area back here where there was like a, they burnt stuff all the time. And there was always fire burning and smoke, it was just kind of a, a really nasty area. And so they'll tell you that that's actually what hell is. And obviously that's ridiculous. I think they probably just compared it to hell just because there was always fire going on there. If we had a place where there was always stuff burning, where we sent all our trash and it was always burning, we might call it someplace like that. So I, I, so I do think they probably maybe called it that, compared it to that. But it doesn't change the fact there's still a little literal hell people are going to go to when they die. But anyway, so notice verse 13. It says, Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The flat fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Now, does that verse sound familiar to anybody? Does that verse remind you of anything from Revelation? All right, well, keep your finger in Joel 3 because we're not done there. But in Revelation 14, in verse 14, it says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came down out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat in the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came from the altar and had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, 
Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and the blood came out of the winepresses even under the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. So notice, first off, in Revelation 14, we've got two angels, both with sickles. The first angel does a reaping, which obviously this is symbolic, but I believe it's symbolic of the rapture. The first angel reaps God's people and protects them from the wrath that's to come. The second angel, it, it gathers everyone up to cast them into the winepress of the wrath of God. And I believe that's just symbolic of the wrath of God. And like the seven, vi- or the seven vials, the seven trumpets that we see in Revelation, that's God pouring His wrath out on the earth. And so we've got the angel that gathers us up before the wrath, but then we've got the other angel that gathers everyone to pour, to pour out the wrath of God. And it mentions a wine press was trodden without the city. Okay, anybody want to guess what city it's probably talking about? I think probably Jerusalem. Okay, and it says the blood came up to the horse's bridles in the space of 1,600 furlongs. So there's an easy connection from this passage in Revelation 14 to Joel chapter 3 when it says multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. It says in verse 13, Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. So here, back in Joel, we've got that sickle. We've got that wine press of the wrath of God. We've got judgment that's coming. And then in verse 15, notice what it says here. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of His people and the strength of the children of Israel. What do we see in Revelation 6? What do we see in Matthew 24? We see the sun darken and the moon that's turned to blood. Stars fall from heaven. The powers of the heaven shaken. In in Revelation 6, there's an earthquake that takes place there. It's hard to not associate this with the sixth seal, is it? And notice, the Lord roars out of Zion. We see Jesus Christ returning. And again, He's going to be the hope of His people. He's going to gather up His people. He's going to protect His people. But everyone else they're going to be under God's wrath. And so, notice what it says. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her anymore. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with water, and the fountains shall come forth of the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Shittim. And so, we, there is a water source in there. This is where the house of the Lord was, and water is going to come from there. It says, Egypt shall be a desolation, Edom shall be a desolate wilderness, for the violence against the children of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation, for I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. So, we, without a doubt, what Joel's talking about here. He talks about the Valley of Jehoshaphat. He talks about the Lord. He talks about Zion. He talks about the house of the Lord. It's all going to be in this general area somewhere. 
That's where all this takes place. It's here. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Here's where that happens. It's here where he tells them to thrust in his sickle. and talks about the wine press of the wrath of God. All of that is in, is it, all of that is in Jerusalem. Okay. Now, I'm going to go ahead and show you some pictures because, again, when we, if we just use the Bible, it's real easy to picture everything the Bible is describing in this area. And so we've got, um, I've already explained what a lot of this is. This next picture I have, this is also down in that valley. Now, here, I, I wanted to show this picture too because in Jerusalem, a lot of the city, has, it's been built over each other over the, century, over the millennia. They just build over itself all the time. And so anywhere you walk, almost anything you see, you know, you probably couldn't see, you know, 2,000 years ago, that stuff wasn't there. You know, you'd have to go underneath to get to the ancient stuff. But things like this, um, which is way down low, these things date back to Second Temple period. So like before the time of Christ, hundreds of years before the time of Christ. When you're down in this area, you're real low. And I just think it's interesting too, because, you know, while I do believe a fulfillment is to come of these prophecies we looked at, I do believe that a, a, um, a, a fulfillment took place in 70 AD in this valley of slaughter. And you know what's interesting about this valley of slaughter? Today, most of this valley looks like this. You know what that is? Graves. Those are all graves everywhere. And the amount of people that have died in this area over the years is insane. You know, to think. And they'll tell you, this is like one of the oldest cemeteries in the world that has graves going back thousands of years. It's got some more modern ones too. But um, just very interesting. But this thing right here, this goes all that. That's known as Absalom's pillar. Has nothing to do with Absalom, though. But uh, yeah, which was very disappointing. This was built, they say, several hundred years after Absalom. But the Bible talks about Absalom's place in the Bible, and I always thought that's what this was. And so when I went there and found out it wasn't involved with Absalom, I was a little aggravated. But that's that's how they do things in Israel. If they if they find something that's really cool, but it's like, you know, they, they find out it belonged to some guy that's not in the Bible, well, there's no tourist attraction for that. So you know what they do? They, put a, they associate a Bible character with it. They do that all over Israel. It's not right. It's not fair. But it's like, you know, it, it, Israel has become Christian Disney World. And so it would be like if I wanted to turn Sterling into Disney World and tell you this is where the Disney characters live. You know, I would go over to the Dylan home because that's probably the nicest house in town. And I'd say this is where Cinderella lived. Well, Cinderella never lived there. You know, Dylan lived there, but, you know, nobody cares about Dylan. Everybody cares about Cinderella. So I make a lot more money if I did. And they do, they do that over in Israel. It's, it's messed up, but it's, what, it's just what it is. I, I don't make up the rules. <laughs> I'm just telling you what happened. This also is a part of that valley. These are Second Temple period. That is known as the tomb of Zechariah. And I don't think it's one from the Bible. It might be. I'm not sure. But it's, it's roughly the right period. A lot of cool stuff there. Notice more graves. But this is all a part of that valley. This is all part of the valley of Jehoshaphat. So this area, when you're walking down here, this part of the valley, I mean, this is an area Jesus probably walked through. A lot of the other stuff, like I said it's, it's all built over. Jesus probably didn't walk there. But when you're walking in places like this, 
This very, very well could be an area where Jesus probably did walk through uh, more than once. You know, there's people out there doing weird stuff at the graves. So this is another picture of that. I took this down inside the valley. Uh, and it was pretty cool walking through this area. Just a lot of neat things to see. But also thinking about, you know, biblical events that have happened there. They're going to happen there. So here's a picture of me on the Mount of Olives. I'm on the Mount of Olives. So the valley... This, this valley goes along here, and then back over here is where that first picture was, where I said the temple was. There's the Dome of the Rock, where they say the temple was, but it wasn't. And then you have this valley that goes along here, and then there's like this built-up area that probably wasn't like that during the time of Christ. I don't know when they built that area up, but it kind of separates it. But you got that huge valley that goes through there, and again, just graves er- absolutely everywhere. And I think that might be the last of the pictures that I have. Yeah, and so just another picture. So that's the valley. But all this is built up. They'll tell you that's the eastern gate, uh, which it wasn't. But even if it was, that wouldn't even be where Jesus rode through. And they'll tell you that because there's another part of the gate way down because they just build up. All of these walls that you see were built centuries after the time of Christ. And so... Um, but yes, yeah, so that's back to the picture. So now I want to show you a couple of videos as well, just to kind of give you a little more perspective. Yeah, so this video I took from, I'm standing in the area where we believe the temple was. So I'm kind of trying to give some perspective. So when you look down there in that valley, that's the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Right in here somewhere. Nobody can really know for sure is where the temple would have been. But again, you can't find it because Jesus said there wouldn't be one stone left upon another. So obviously it's, it's all gone. But they have found way down there where they, believe, they call it the altar of Melchizedek, where they believe uh, they had, used to do sacrifices and all these things. I don't have any pictures of that on here. I talked about that already. But just kind of giving you some perspective here. So that's the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Keep going that way. goes to the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. And then I'm going to turn around behind me. And that's where you see the old city. Back, yeah, back there is where the Dome of the Rock is. And over there is the Mount of Olives where uh, Jesus did the Olivet Discourse. But just trying to get perspective. So I'm standing on a platform in an area they call the City of David. That's, yes, yeah, so that's the Mount of Olives up there and so even from right up there jesus would have had a great view of the temple with his disciples uh that gold top building that's a, they call it the church of mary magdalene the garden of gethsemane is over there and then right here so i i took that video from i think right there that we just watched now i'm over on the other side on the mount of olives so you can see how deep that valley goes right there and then all these stones that they've kind of excavated that's second temple period stuff. So that's stuff before the time of Christ. The temple that would have been there in Jesus' day was probably built over those things. It would, it would have been, because that's, again, that's how they did it. They just built over everything back then. But you can see that deep, narrow valley. The, um, so you can't see it from the top side, but there's an entrance up there where you can go down these caves into Hezekiah's tunnel, which is really cool. 
And if you ever get a chance to go over there, you definitely want to take the wet tour where you walk through the tunnels. Just make sure you have a flashlight. And there's just graves, graves, graves everywhere out there. I don't understand why, but the Jews have a practice of going out there, visiting those graves, and they set stones on top of them. I don't know what that means exactly and why they do that. But they go out there and they do their head bobbing prayer towards the Temple Mount. That right there is the um, Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is the third, or third, yeah, third most holy site, I think, in all of Islam. And then, you know, they, the Dome of the Rock is part of the Al-Aqsa compound, but the Dome of the Rock is a separate thing. So anyway, that's the, that's the end of that video. But I wanted you to show, I wanted to show you all that, because in Joel says that God's gonna judge from Mount Zion, from the house of the Lord. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. It's gonna be called the valley of slaughter. Uh, he talks about the wine press. And so when it, so when we, Read about the blood flowing to the horse's bridles. For sure, that we, that we only see that in Revelation 14, and it for sure is connected to Joel 3, which is about the valley of Jehoshaphat. Okay, now, turn over to Revelation chapter 16. Because if you ever go to Israel, one of the places that they are probably going to take you on that tour is to Megiddo. I don't know why I didn't put my Megiddo pictures up here. Uh, I should have had some of these up here. But Megiddo is a massive, massive, wide-open valley. It's huge. Um, but, it's, uh, but people will tell you that's where the Battle of Armageddon is going to be fought. Always watch out when people use terms that you can't find in the Bible and phrases that you can't find in the Bible. Okay? Battle of Armageddon. How many have ever heard of the Battle of Armageddon? Okay? I've said it. I still say it sometimes. Okay? I know what people are talking about, but again, when you, when you have to use terms that aren't in the Bible, it's probably because you're teaching something that isn't in the Bible exactly. Now, so it says in Revelation 16, 13, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirit of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. That's what it's called. The battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together in a place in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Now, we do not see a battle take place here. We see everything, the world preparing for a battle. And it talks about how the armies are all gathered in a place called Armageddon. So, we see armies being gathered there preparing themselves for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. But the battle of the great day of God Almighty is going to take place in the valley of Jehoshaphat, not in the valley of Armageddon. And if you go out there too, it's just this huge open valley. You'll see it from up on Tel Megiddo, this, this high elevated area, and they'll tell you blood's going to flow to the horse of bridles out there. And it's like, that's not even possible. There's not that much blood in the earth. Now again, God could always work a miracle. He turned water into blood. But at the same time, it just doesn't really make sense. It's, and it's, not, it's just not what we see in the Bible. And then what people will do, so they go Revelation 14, which we already read, associate that with Revelation 16, where they get the battle of Armageddon. We're just, no, it's the battle of the great day of God Almighty. 
And the armies prepare during this time. They're preparing for that battle and they prepare themselves in Megiddo. But then in Revelation 19, they'll jump to Revelation 19 and they'll tell you this is the battle of Armageddon. Does not say, Armageddon's not mentioned. Megiddo's not mentioned. But there's definitely a battle. I, I think for sure we can call this the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And in Revelation 19, verse 11, it says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations... And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Now, what did it say in Joel 3? The Lord is going to roar out of Zion. He's going to judge the nations at the valley of Jehoshaphat. And what do we see? We see him smiting the nations. We see him ruling here. Where does the Bible tell us he's going to rule from? Mount Zion. So, it talks about him treading the winepress. We also see that in Joel 3. So without a doubt, Revelation 19 is also connected to Joel 3, just like Revelation 14 is connected to Joel 3. And understand, all of that stuff happens at Mount Zion. We know when Jesus comes back, He's going to step His foot first on the Mount of Olives. And then right across from that valley, you know what you have? You have where Mount Zion. So you know what I think is probably going to happen. He's going to come back step his foot on Mount Zion, and he's going to wipe out all those armies that are in the valley, and then he's going to go in while he goes to, you know, Mount Zion. I mean, that's, it, make, it makes perfect sense when you look at it that way, but it doesn't matter. When you go to Israel, everybody tells you that all happens at Megiddo. I don't know if they just needed more tourism money out there, and so they've really been pushing that because it gets people a lot more excited but that's not where the battle's going to fight. And everybody will stand out there like, one of these days the Lord's going to break through the sky right up there somewhere and come wipe everybody out. No, that's in Jerusalem. That's in Jerusalem where all that goes down. Well, let's go and read a little bit more. And he hath on his vesture on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and they worshiped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant that were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So, here's the thing about, uh, about, this, the thing about this story and the thing about this passage is if you take a literal interpretation of it, okay? if we are going to be, if we're going to be literal, with the Bible, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that, and and how it's going to be fulfilled, this is where it happens. 
right out, right outside of Jerusalem. And I remember when I first learned this, the way I learned it, I was doing a study on this years ago, and I just, I did a search for the Valley of Jehoshaphat, thinking it was going to, sh- I, I always told people that the Armageddon Valley, I also said it was the Valley of Jehoshaphat. I preached that years ago one time. I said the Valley of Jehoshaphat and the Megiddo Valley are the same valley. And my basis for that was because I knew the, where the blood flows of the horse of bridles was the Valley of Jehoshaphat, but I also was told that that happens at the Megiddo Valley. Well, then I started studying. I was like, there's no biblical connection to that at all. And Israel doesn't even claim that. It, it, you know, is, if you tell Jews over there that Megiddo Valley is the Valley of Jehoshaphat, they'll laugh at you. And I remember I searched it. And I'm like, wait, that's it? And then I got to look a little closer. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. And so here's one of the reasons I think, too, a lot of Christians get it wrong when it comes to the Megiddo Valley. You say, well, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's just a dumb mistake that people ought to easily be able to say, oh, yeah, I got that wrong. But here's why I think people get mixed up too. In Zechariah 12:9, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look on me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And in that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad-Rimmon in the valley of Megiddon. And right there, what they want to do, they want to separate the coming of Christ when every eye sees him from the rapture and they want to put it at what they call Armageddon. They don't want you associating Zechariah 12 with the coming of Christ, so they want to connect it to Armageddon. But the Bible doesn't call it the Battle, battle of Armageddon. And so it, but there's a reference to Megiddon here. So right there, that proves it. So this proves this is about Armageddon because Megiddon's mentioned. But no, notice it just says that when Christ returns, there's going to be a great mourning like there was in, uh, in Megiddon. But when was that? That he's referring not to something that's going to come into the future. He's referring back to something that had happened in the past. And in Second Chronicles 35, if you want to turn over there, Second Chronicles 35 says, Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him and hearken not to the words of Necho from the mouth of God and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot at King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, Have me away, for I am sore wounded. His servants therefore took him out of the chariot, put him in the second chariot that he had, and brought him to Jerusalem. And he died and was buried in one of the sepulchres of his father. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. And Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. And all the singing men and singing women spake of Josiah in their lamentations to this day and made them an ordinance in Israel. Behold, they are written in lamentations now, the rest of the Acts of Josiah is goodness according to that which was written in the law of the Lord. So, all it's saying is in that day, there's going to be a great mourning like the mourning that happened after the death of Josiah at Megiddo. That's what it's saying. So, what, what happens, sometimes people get really lazy in their Bible interpretation and they just do word searches. 
And so then they, so they see the Megiddo reference there. And so then they connect it to this specific event in the end times where they already have details wrong. And you got to watch out for that. These are two different places. And so here's why I like to bring this up. This is why I like showing pictures of these things. I like familiarizing you with all these places. Because when you're just reading the Bible, it's really hard to picture all these places. It's hard to picture how far they are from each other. It's hard to picture what they look like. But understand, the Bible, when it was written, it's many times writing to a group of people who lived in these areas and knew exactly what the writer was talking about. But we don't. We don't. So if they're talking about the Valley of Armageddon versus the Valley of Jehoshaphat, we don't know any difference. We don't know how far away they are from each other. So it's real easy for somebody to just come along and tell you uh, there's a connection to these things. But when you actually familiarize yourself with this area in the way the people were familiar who originally received these scriptures, all of a sudden you'll see right through those errors. And so I, I, I do think it's very important that we look into these things because there's a lot of really goofy mistakes people make just because, and, and it's innocent. Imagine if I was writing about Rock Falls and you've never been to Rock Falls before, you know, and I'm talking about uh, what, what notable places do we have out here? You know, I'm talking about the walking bridge, you know, and I, and, you know, and let's just say I, I said I walked, uh, I took the walking bridge by the dam and I walked from there, uh, we'll say to my house in five minutes. And I was just writing about that. Okay. And you, you, and so you read this story about Brother Tommy on the bridge that goes from Stony to Rock Falls, walking from there to his house in five minutes. Now, those of you that are familiar with the area, like, that didn't happen. That's not possible because Brother Tommy's house is too far. There's no way you could walk that far in five minutes. But, again, if somebody's just reading that who's never been out here, never seen those things, and I haven't, and I don't give more details than that, then they're going to be really confused. And so, just um, you know, un- understand there's a lot of things like that in the Bible. And so there is something to be gained from kind of learning about these places. And so hopefully, this gets you a little bit of a picture in your mind. And again, some of this stuff could have been fulfilled you know, when Jerusalem was compassed about with armies in 70 AD. And there was a massive you know, amount of bloodshed during that time. Uh, but at the same time, I do believe, you know, obviously Jesus hasn't judged the nations yet. You know, so there could be, uh, you know, some of this stuff could be symbolic. Okay? I'm not mad at somebody if they make this more of a symbolic thing than a literal thing. But either way, if you're going to make it literal, that's where it's at. That's where it's, that's where it's going to go down. And so hopefully that was a help to you. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. I thank you so much for uh, the, your word and the clarity we can get from it if we just pay a little bit of attention. I pray help us learn from these things. And if anybody got anything from this message, help us to just be thankful and uh, for the reminder that one of these days, Lord, you are going to deal with the nations of this world. It's discouraging seeing all the wickedness that's going on, but we're thankful that you will rule and reign one of these days and uh, you'll set everything right. And so I pray in the meantime, you help us be faithful and continue to try winning people to your kingdom. In your name we pray.